Welcome to Church Online. If you are joining us live, then uh, we are delighted that you've taken time this weekend to do that. If you're listening or watching sometime in the week, that's fantastic too. This is what's going to happen over the next little while. Uh, we're going to join our Rutland Campus 33 in some worship in just a few minutes. I'm very excited that we're able to do that every week. And then we're going to have a message, got our family news, and of course, you've got an opportunity to give to the work of Willow Park Church that makes this possible. So we've got lots of different ways that you can get involved. But our prayer is that this weekend and this week or any time you're watching this, that you'll really feel and sense the presence of God and also hear from God. And as we jump into the word, we really want to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So bless you for joining us. And we pray that you have a wonderful time in the presence of God. Take care. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can gather here today, that we, uh, we're a wonderful community, and that we hear from your word. Bless everything that happens here today, Lord. Bless every aspect of this service, and thank you for gathering us together in your name. We give the rest of this to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Kids, you can go to Kids Church now. Luke, why don't you lead us in worship?
nothing can stand against What a powerful name it is The name of Jesus Depend on you. 
never runs dry I'm the branch and you are the vine Draw me close and teach me to abide Be my strength, my song in the night Be my all, my treasure, my prize Draw me close and teach me to abide. Oh, would you teach me? Oh, and teach me to abide.
Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. My one defense, my righteousness. Oh, God, how I need you. Curtis and I am the pastor for seniors here at Willow Park Church. Here's your family news for this week.
First, I just want to say welcome to all of you who are new to the South. If you haven't already, please take a moment to fill out one of our Connect cards or scan this QR code to fill it in online. Then after the service, be sure to stop by the Connect table in the foyer to collect a free gift from us. We are blessed to have a great group of men and women on our Board of Elders who help lead our church. At this time, we are currently looking to fill two vacant positions on the board. If you would like to nominate someone for this role, please visit our website to fill out an elder nomination form. On February 7th, we will be starting a new Alpha course. If you are wanting to learn more about God and explore the deeper questions of life, then this seven-week course is definitely for you. Alpha will be happening online on Monday nights at 7 p.m. and will be hosted by Pastor Phil, Pastor Jordan, and Pastor Me. Sign up today on our website and think about inviting a friend to attend with you. And don't forget to sign up for our upcoming Senior High Winter Retreat for Youth in grades 9 to 12. It's happening at Pines Bible Camp on February 18th to 20th. And it's going to be so much fun. Be sure to register soon at cahoots.ca slash arctic. Today is the last day of our 21 days of prayer. To wrap it all up and celebrate what God has done, we hope you will join us tonight at 5.30 p.m. at our Highway 33 location for Willow One Worship and Prayer. There will also be a kids' praise and prayer event happening at the same time, so bring the whole family. We look forward to seeing lots of our South family there at our Highway 33 location tonight for an extended time of worship and prayer. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. Okay, so this is the part of our service where we encourage you to really prayerfully consider how you can contribute to the life and the work of Willow Park Church. What we're doing right now online in our online church and our online ministry is made possible by people being generous, just like you, following the command of Scripture in the New Testament, which talks about giving cheerfully. It talks about giving generously, sacrificially. It's kind of got a pinch and also regularly. And so if you are not doing that yet, can, can I just humbly ask you to prayerfully consider how you can give to this incredible work as we, we look for ways that we can serve Jesus in our province, in our city, and around the world. So here are a few different ways that you can do that. You can do it online or whether it be regular each month, and we can answer any questions you might have about that. But thank you for making this possible. Thank you for the ways that you just, it's, it's humbling how people have continued to give in these really uncertain times. You're amazing. God bless. Good morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Allison, and I will be reading Luke 6, verse 1 to 11 this morning. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any 
but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Alison. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for all seven of you. Uh, my name is Glenn, and uh, I'm uh, one of the pastors here as well, and it's my joy to share the Word of God with you. Welcome if you are joining us online. Uh, we've got so many people online at the moment, and we're just stoked that you are taking the time to do that. And if it is your first time watching, then welcome. If it's your first time here, thank you so much for coming, and uh, I'm looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you this morning. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, so for those of you who know me, uh, buckle up, this is going to be great. I'm really, really looking forward to sharing the Word of God with you this morning. So if you've got your journal, you want to grab that, get your pens ready, get the Bibles ready, and, uh, and let's jump in. We're, uh, we're going through a series at the moment. This is actually our final week of a series called Rhythms, and we've been just looking at a few uh, practices of Jesus, disciplines, spiritual disciplines, uh, of how we can connect closer to God. And so this week, uh, I'm going to just bring this to an end with one of my favorite, uh, my favorite practices, my favorite disciplines. But we're going to do this in a kind of different way. Those of you who've been at the South quite a lot, you'll know that I tend to start with some scripture, work through it, and then apply it, and then we can go and we can apply what we've heard. I'm going to do this the other way around. I'm actually going to start with the end in mind, and then I'm going to finish with the beginning. Uh, hopefully, it will, uh, it, will, it will make sense, but we're going to jump into some scripture about halfway through. Um, so um, just, just bear with me, we're going to get there, but I want to frame it really, really well. If I was going to give this morning a title, then I would call it this, and please write this down, The Divine Enough, The Divine Enough. Okay, so let's just imagine something. I meet you on the street, and I say, how are you? Now, just to warn you, I'm going to put something on the screen here, and I want us all to say it together. Okay, you ready for that? It's basic reading. Uh, you can mumble your way through it if you would like, um, and well, you're going to all sound a bit mumbly to me anyway, because you're face masks, and thank you for keeping those on, um, but I want us to say this, so imagine I come up to you in the street, and, uh, and, and I say, hey, how, how, how's it going, and your response is this, everybody, I'm doing really well, thank you, I'm rested, and I have significant space in my life, I'm actually not that busy, how did that feel? Doesn't that kind of feel weird? When was the last time you said to somebody, 
in response to how you're doing, you went, actually, I'm not that busy. I don't have much to do right now. The scary thing is, me even saying this in the pulpit makes me think, I wonder what everybody thinks about me when I say I'm not that busy. Because we live in a society, we live in a culture where busyness and, and drive is celebrated, encouraged, bragged about, and educated into. Don't we? If you say I'm not busy, we immediately get all judgy about it, and we go, oh, really? So you obviously don't have much to do in life? Pretty sad. Unlike me, busiest person in the world. In fact, I'm going to tell you that I'm really busy, just so you think more of me, because I want you to know how significant I am. And if I don't tell you that I'm busy, you're going to think that I'm not significant, I have no place in the world, and actually, you know, know, what's the point? I need to prove myself to you and show you how important I am and how in control I am by telling you how busy I am. That's our culture. Do more, be better, do it faster, and try and be a bit better looking while you do it, if you could. Because there's always somebody online, on social, on Instagram, or whatever it is you might follow, that is a constant reminder that they're doing better than you, faster than you, better looking than you, and seem to have it all more together than you. That they're more significant than you, have more influence than you, and so there's this constant reminder from our culture, work a bit harder, would you, please? And our, and, our, and our culture actually leans towards working hard, especially with the current pace in our, in, in our work life, and, you know, and technology never leaves us alone. All these things add up together, I'm busy, and that's okay. And we get caught in this busy trap, this busy trap. Let me read a quote to you. Busyness serves as a kind of hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you are so busy completely booked, in demand, every hour of the day. We're busy because of our own ambition or drive or anxiety because we're addicted to busyness and dread what we might have to face in its absence. That's from Tim Krieger from the Busy Trap in the New York Times article. See, busyness is not a respecter of age. It's not a respecter of position. It's not a respecter of education or stage of life. You can be near the end of your life, and you can be near the beginning of your life, and you can still be overrun with busyness. Parents, we need to be careful we don't make our children too busy. Jack, I'm very sorry. You are very busy right now. We messed up this fall by putting Jack in every possible sport because he's our athlete. He loves sports. So, yeah, we'll do volleyball, basketball, soccer all at the same time. That's a great idea. It was a disastrous idea, poor kid. Just, he's probably asleep right now as are most of you, maybe. I don't know. But we, we no respect of age or position. Listen to what Dr. Susan Coven from the, in the uh, article in the Boston Globe said. In the past few years, I've observed an epidemic of sorts, patient after patient, suffering from the same condition. The symptoms of this condition include fatigue, irritability, insomnia, anxiety, headaches, heartburn, bowel disturbances. Yes, I said that on a Sunday morning. Welcome to the South. And um, back pain and weight gain. There are no blood tests or x-rays diagnostic of this condition, and yet it is easy to recognize. The condition is excessive busyness. So... What do we do? We, what we do is in our culture, we say, I really need to take a day off. I need to go on holiday. And then we go on holiday. You remember when we could take holidays? <sighs> Let's just have a sailor moment, a pause and a reflection on that. 
we go on holiday. I need a holiday. Only to discover when we go on holiday that the work beneath the work continues. The week beneath the work beneath the work continues. Because even though our outside busyness stops, there's an ongoing inner mechanical engine that continues to work even when you pull the key off and turn the ignition off. Much like my old Jeep. You can drive along in my Jeep and you can pull the key out, unlock the glove compartment while driving, not recommended, those of you on L's or N's or anybody actually, and the engine will continue to go. The Jeep doesn't need a key. It'll just keep going. Because there's an inner mechanism, an inner machinery that just doesn't stop spinning. And so you can go on holiday only to discover there's actually stress and busyness follow you because the thing isn't external, the thing is internal. There's an internal inner machinery that just doesn't stop spinning. That's our life. That's our culture. That's what we're encouraged to be like. That's what we encourage our children to be like. And it's a very easy trap to fall into because what we do with our kids is we think, well, we'll give them lots of experiences. Experiences are good. No parenting is good. Memories are good. And so these sort of things can be done as part of the rhythm of your life without making them so excessively busy that when they go into the next stage of their life and then the next stage of their life and the next stage of their life from high school to college into uh, maybe being married, if that's what the Lord calls them to and ongoing, they are now wired that they have to be busy. Busyness is not always productive. Busyness can also mean that you are just spending all your time gaming. You're busy, sort of. You know, there's, there's this busyness in life where we just fear stopping. And so today, what I want to do is I've got two main points. My first point is this, the practice of true soul rest. And my second point that I'm going to get to in just a little minute is the position of soul rest, the practice of soul rest, that we as humans are wired to have not just days off or holidays or rest from work. We are created and designed to have deep soul rest. That regardless of the busyness of the external, that we can actually have a soul rest that is found in Jesus. And God established this practice of soul rest, this spiritual discipline, if you like, of rest that feeds the soul. And, and, it, and he, he started it. Alan Fadling said this, God's antidote for our hurried, harried pace of life and gives us the unhurried one in seven rhythm woven into the very fabric of creation. We have an antidote that God started right there. You can read it in Genesis chapter 2. We're not going to go there. We'll get to our Bible in just a minute. But Genesis chapter 2 shows us that God created and at the end of creation, he sat back doesn't actually say he sat back. I kind of like to think of God sitting back. Imagine what that armchair must look like. It's amazing. He sat back and he went, this is very good. And he rested. Interestingly, it never says he started to work again. Have you thought about that? See, he continued from a position of rest. We're going to come to that in just a second. He said life is meant to be lived with rest and then he reinforces this example by making it part of his commands, part of, the, uh, of the, the, the sacred rhythm throughout life. The tides go out, they come in. 
There's night, there's day, there's seasons, and and God created this work and this rest rhythm, and then set the example by saying, and God did not need to rest, but he said, I'm going to rest anyway. Because what we think of rest is very different from what is actually biblical rest. We think rest is go on holiday, have a day off. Well, actually, God's rest looks really different. You see, God's rest, when he said to us, let's take a Sabbath, let's take some rest, what he didn't do is really interesting. He didn't establish a place of rest. He didn't say, go to this mountain, go into this cathedral, go into this temple, go to this place and you will find rest. What he did is he created a moment. He created time. He said, enter into this cathedral of time, not my term, and you will find rest. He created time in the midst of this rhythm of work. He said, take some time. There's one book that I highly recommend that you read. It's a beautiful book. It's actually a profound book. Okay, disclaimer, I say this every time, not every book do I align myself with everything that it says, so please don't email me, okay? Uh, I say that lovingly, um, but you can, we can all find something good in a book even though we may not agree with everything, all right? So this is by a rabbi uh, called Abraham Joshua Heschel, and it's called The Sabbath. This is what he said, I think this is so beautiful. The Sabbath is to time what the temple and tabernacle are to space. The Sabbath is a cathedral in time. On the seventh day, we experience in time what the uh, tabernacle and temple represented as spaces, which is eternal life. God in the complete creation. As you read this book, and I encourage you to read it on your Sabbath, I'm going to come to that in a second, what you're going to see there is he talks about how places became sacred because of the moment that God created in them. You look through the Old Testament, there are places where uh, pillars of stones were built, things were recognized. It's not that place that was holy, it's what God did in that place that is holy, that moment of time. And then he gives us this possibility that on a weekly basis, even on a daily basis, we can create this cathedral of time and have God speak to us profoundly. And in that moment, it might be that you're in a particular place. I wonder how many of you have been on an amazing hike or you've gone to an amazing place or a beautiful scene. You've visited something of historical consequence and in that moment you've just felt the divine connection. Can I tell you that is that moment that where God connects with you. It's not about the cathedral as much as what God says to you in the cathedral. And then he says, look, but you don't need a cathedral. He says all you need is time, a moment. A place in the in-between, if you like, where heaven and earth, and I talk about this often, intersect, where the kingdom of God finds its rest, and we can enter into that intersection. It's so much more than not doing work on a day. You can take a day off and not be at rest. You can take a day off and not have a Sabbath. The greatest gift, I feel, outside of of, uh, knowing Jesus as your personal savior and having him as your friend and your brother is to say, friends, Christian friends, make Sabbath part of your habitual sacred rhythm. Sarah and I started it a couple of years ago, more on that in a minute, and I can say I get excited at the thought of my Sabbath every week, which is a Saturday. 
which is kind of handy because that's the seventh day. <laughs> now, it doesn't have to be the seventh day. I'll come to that in a second. But look for that place in the in-between. So important. It reorients and refreshes our soul. We need this. So let's get really practical. What does it look like? Well, first of all, the literal translation of Sabbath is that it's a, it's a, it's a stop. It actually means enough. That God sat back and he said, this is enough. Not, whew, I've had enough, but this is enough. This is good. It's a stop. It means to literally stop. Stop all work. Stop everything that you have to do. Stop thinking about work. If you've got dreams and ambitions and you're kind of working on it and as a kind of a side hustle, you stop that as well. You just stop. Some of you are getting a bit stressful at the thought of stopping right now. You need a Sabbath. <laughs> if you're kind of going, you know, you don't understand. Yeah, I do. I really, really do understand. You need to stop. Stop thinking about work. Stop talking about work. Stop planning for work, including the work we don't get paid for. And then you see this stopping, this practice of Shabbat, which is the Hebrew for Sabbath, this enough, this stop. What it's doing is it's declaring to you and those around you that actually God is in control. You're practicing sovereignty. You're practicing sovereignty. Okay, I'm going to say something, and this is going to hurt some of you. Few of you, handful of you. You ready? You are not indispensable. Wow, that hurt. You are not that important to keeping the tinkering of the universe going. You're not, and neither am I. It will be fine. What happens when you fall asleep? There's a whole other world still going, you know, on the other side of the planet. Who's in control over there? It's not you. God's got this. His sovereignty. We are not indispensable. The universe will be okay. In fact, it won't just be okay. It will thrive without you. That stings, doesn't it? Because some of us, me included, I fight against this, have this paradigm that says, in order for things to be held together, I need to be actively involved. You don't. You don't. And Sabbath reminds us and those around us and your kids that they nor you are in control. The universe will be just fine. We can trust him. So for me, as an example, my Sabbath tends to start like Friday dinner time. My messaging is switched off. My phone is switched off. Um, my email is not checked. For those of you who email me on a Thursday night or maybe on a Friday night, you're going to be really disappointed because that email is not going to get even looked at until Monday morning because I am checking emails on a Sunday. And, and, and that's okay. You'll find that just as patient as people are with, with you, and, uh, where you are with them when they don't answer emails immediately, and I hope you are patient, that that's okay back to you, those of you who are checking emails regularly. Start on a Friday. Sarah starts on a Friday. Our texting stops. Now, it's kind of frightening when you switch your phone back on, by the way. <laughs> You're like, oh, gosh. But that's Okay. What else happens? Well, then on a Sabbath, you need to rest. Rest means restoration and reinvigoration. Rest. You can nap. Jesus napped. It's good. 
Have you actually ever had a study through the Bible of all the times that God did something remarkable when somebody was sleeping? That'd make a great midweek Bible study. We'll call it nap time. And we'll look at all the times that God spoke, God moved, God changed. Jesus calmed a storm. Sorry, Jesus was sleeping in the middle of the storm. And he was sleeping. Jacob, you know, Peter, all these characters through the Bible, you can see that God did something profound when they were fast asleep, which is why I like taking regular naps, family, because I'm just in faith believing that when I nap, God is going to move. And Jesus napped. The Hebrew for napping is schlaf. So you can schlaf on your Shabbat. Just saying that is just so great. It makes me want to have a nap. Napping is good. Eating good food is good. If you're on a diet, consider not dieting on your Sabbath. Just eat. Enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy. Do you realize that before the invention, going back to napping, do you, uh, do you realize that before the invention of light bulb, people on average slept 10 hours a day? 10 hours. We show off when we get seven. In fact, no, we show off if we get less because that means we're busy and we're important. 10 hours. Spend your time walking. Spend your time playing with the kids, sitting, chatting, reading, laughing, dating your spouse. Do things that make you laugh hard. Do things that make you feel like it's something to look forward to every day. Don't do things that take joy away from you. If you find joy in cutting the grass, then do that. If that is a chore, don't do that. Find another time to do that chore. Talk about good things. Don't talk about bad things. If you're in a marriage, then you can actually hold each other accountable to this. It's fantastic in lovingly shutting down your spouse. (laughs) You have to be careful. Is it okay if we don't talk about that today? Because actually that just makes me think about work. And that is not joy. That is not reinvigoration. Use, your, uh, use this question as so you've got stop, you've got rest, you've got delight. What brings me joy and delight? Use that as a filter. If you are contemplating doing something on the day that you've set aside as Sabbath, and you're contemplating it, and you're not sure whether that's going to bring you joy, and you're not sure whether that belongs on your Sabbath, filter it through this question. Is this going to bring me joy and delight? Delight yourself in what is good and beautiful and true things that take your breath away, things that make you excited. That is what God created Sabbath for. Contemplate. This is what makes Sabbath stand out. I love this this quote. The world is charged with the grandeur of of, of God. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. One day I would like to write a book, and this will be the title, Find the Divine in the Detail. Find the divine in the detail. Find the divine in the ordinary. Find the divine in just the world that he has given us to enjoy. We're going to inherit this one day, Christian friend. You know that. And the universe. I've already chosen the bit that's mine. I don't know about the rest of you. But that is for you to enjoy. It shouts out the glory and the grandeur of God. Enjoy it. Practice this heaven in time. Practice it. It takes practice. So how do you do it? And then we're going to look at my second point, just really, really quickly. I encourage you to read about it. Read the Sabbath. That is a fantastic book to start with. Um, identify your best 24 hours. might not be a Saturday. might not be a Sunday. For some of you, those are the best days. Sunday is not a day off for me. Today is a long day for me. 
get up early, we've got Willow on prayer, it's joyful, I love my work, but it's not a Sabbath for me. Saturday is a Sabbath for me, or Friday to Saturday is a Sabbath for me. What is the best 24 hours for you? Actually write it down, have a conversation about it in your family. What's the best day for us to have a Sabbath? Think about what brings you delight and make a list. Make a list of those things that you go, oh yeah, this is the sort of stuff I'm going to do on my Sabbath. And share it with your family. Prepare for it beforehand. So if you need to work hard in order to get your Sabbath enclosed and safe, do that. If you have to do extra work on a Friday, if your Sabbath is a Saturday, do that. Trust me, it, you will love this. Create your space Declare, I will do this, I will not do this. And then this is a really important thing in any habit forming. Give it four to six weeks. Dedicate yourself to four to six weeks. This is what we're going to do. This is what I'm going to do. And then, as always, be flexible. Be gentle with yourself. Be gentle with yourself as you go. These uh, tips, these ideas are all found in some great books that I've already recommended to you at the beginning of this series. You can find them on Instagram and you'll find some, um, John Mark Comer writes about this really well. If you really want to dig into it, then you can, uh, you can go into some of the other books, Dallas Willard and uh, just some beautiful, beautiful literature. That's the good news. The bad news is this, and it will only be bad news just for a few minutes. This isn't available to everybody. You may have come in here, you might be watching online, and you may not be in close communion and relationship with Jesus. You might be trying to do things on your own skill and your own talent and your own ability and you are just trying to live life in your own power that you don't actually need Jesus, that you have not submitted to him, you have not made Lord of life, you have not dedicated yourself to living out the kingdom of God. In which case, I'm going to say very lovingly, but with a great deal of hope as I'm about to share, this gift of the Sabbath is not for you. And yet it is readily available. Because this gift of the Sabbath is rooted in something that is profoundly divine and eternal. This is not just a, this is not a, um, a kind of self-help practice. Because if I just left it and said, amen, have a fantastic week, here's what I would be doing. I would be sowing guilt and shame into your life. Because I'd go, go and practice this in your own ability. And what will happen is you will find that you won't be able to connect with the divine and enjoy the divine enough because there's a disconnect between you and the divine. And so it's so important. This is why I flipped it around. I actually had this next point as first, but I thought, no, it's important to understand that it is all rooted in, in something so, so beautiful, so profound, and so available to everybody. And Christian friend, this is the gift that you have been given when you came to Jesus and you confess him as Lord and you make him an, uh, Lord of your life and you recognize him as your son of God and you come to the cross and you have that conversion experience and you start the journey of the kingdom of God. This is Sabbath is a beautiful gift to you, but what I'm about to say is a reminder for you that this is what it's rooted in. This is what it's rooted in. And in this you will find shame and guilt is reduced. In this you'll find the hope. In this you will find the answer. So first let's just ask a very quick question. Why are we 
inclined, why do we have this innate desire to be busy? Why is it that we feel like we have to be busy in order to be significant? Where does that come from? The Italian philosopher Thomas Aquinas was asked, what would it take to satisfy a human? What would it take to satisfy a human? Some of you may know the answer to this question. Thomas Aquinas spent some time thinking about it, and he answered like this, everything. Everything. If you flip it around, what it means is that you will never be satisfied. You will never be satisfied. You will never find true soul rest unless. You'll never be satisfied. And if we reflect on our own lives, you will see that to be the case. I preach this week in, week out, and have done for 11 years, and then 20 years before it especially to our culture, that we have convinced ourselves that we are going to find the answer to life and satisfaction by the stuff that we buy, by the people that we connect with, by the places that we go, the positions that we have, the power that we can exert. We believe that is where we're going to find satisfaction, all the time knowing that we will never be satisfied because nothing is ever enough. One of the richest human beings that ever lived on the planet was asked how much money is enough money? Just a little bit more. Rockefeller said, just a bit more. Gosh, if there was ever a mantra that you could place upon our culture, it's that. Just a little bit more. A little bit more money. A little bit more space in my house. A little bit more of a car. A little bit more sex. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. And because we have been created for infinity, infinity is our default setting. This is why I love to preach. Because as a preacher, I do not have to convince anyone who is listening to me that you are eternally wired. Because you can just look at your life and see the dissatisfaction or that constant need to drive to know that you are far more than this limited amount of time that we have on this planet. That your default setting is infinity, to go on and on and on, and you will never be satisfied with anything less. And what is inside of the Sabbath is this deep recognition and reminder of that. That you are hardwired for infinity. Nothing, nothing will satisfy us like that. And so to take a moment, a cathedral of time, this divine sacred space to actually remind ourselves of that is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Now I'm going to show you an illustration to show you how important this is. not my illustration. I've already heard a couple of the worship team goes, I think this was Francis Chan. You're absolutely right. It's in my notes. Francis Chan's illustration of, of eternity is really good. Apart from the one where I talk about the little finch. How many of you remember that illustration? One. Thanks, Scott. Okay, I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> but Francis Chan said this. Imagine, Francis Chan's a very good preacher, but just imagine that this rope is eternity. And it kind of dips over at the back of the stage there. Just goes on and on and on and on. And just imagine this literally goes on forever. My illustration of the fence gives an illustration of what forever feels like. Um, but I haven't got time to share that with you. But, and, he, and he said this. This is what Francis Chan said. He said, imagine this is, this is eternity. This is forever. And this little red bit here 
is your life. Now, the Bible says that our life is actually a vapor in comparison to eternity. So this feels a little generous, given that a vapor is this, which is not a lot. So this is our life. And so what we do, and this is what I love about this illustration, and you should Google it and watch the master himself share it. He, he, says, he says, this, and this, this little point here is where you die. And we don't know how long we've got. But what we do is, let's say, uh, what we do is we spend all our lives, certainly this part of our life, concentrating on getting to this part of our life where we can enjoy it. So all we're doing is we're investing, thinking if we can just get to this bit, then we die. And one of the things he kind of says it as a throwaway comment, and I, I really like this, is that, is that we get, we get Chris, Christians, if your focus is not just on filling and possessions and power and all these other things, if, if our focus isn't that, we get called crazy because we're not thinking about this. Whereas really, what's really crazy is thinking about this all the time when there's all this. And so as we think about eternity, as we think about what we've been created for, we have been created for infinity. And trust me, my friend, infinity will happen. Infinity can either happen with the Savior of the universe in all glory and new heaven and new earth and all of its beauty and all of its promise, or it can happen in hell. Infinity will happen. And if you're not sure about the idea of eternity, infinity, just take a moment in silence and consider what's going on in your life. If there's anything under it all that points to there being a limit in you, there's always more to be had. And yet we focus on this tiny little circumstance that happened 30 years ago. Whereas look at all that. We're wired for infinity. And so all that we do in this life affects this. But more than that, the most important thing that we do in this life is decide and follow after and seek after the God of this universe. That Christ himself is the answer. For this to be secure, for this to be beautiful, for this to be what you were created for to enjoy, to be reality in your life, the decision to follow after Jesus that happens somewhere in this is the most important decision you can make. Not where you're going to slap your money in the hope that you can collect seashells at the end of your life for a bit. Or buy that boat. Nothing wrong with boats. I love boats. Please, me, please invite me on your boat. I like boats. I just don't want to buy one. I'm just being honest. <laughs> Can't afford it anyway like we've got a choice. But infinity. So we've got the, practi uh, sorry, the, uh, the practice of true soul rest. So now it's the position. Let me finish with this. How do you enjoy true soul rest? I've given you the how to do it on a day-to-day -day basis, but what is true soul rest? How do you enjoy that? That even when it's busy, because this true soul rest is not meant just for Sabbaths, it's all the time. It just amps up in the Sabbath. That God completed his work in creation. He said very good. I've said that the divine enough descended upon the universe. It's enough. We are meant to function from this position of deep rest. It's not just relaxation. It's a position of enough. 
It's a position of enough. So are you positioned to enjoy enough? In Hebrews 4 and verse 9 through to 10, it says this, There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. So it's not rest from your work, it's God's rest, just as God did from his. You see, this is an open invitation. You can enjoy the rest of God. You can enjoy the divine enough. What does that look like? The enough in your life means this. You are not striving for acceptance. You're not striving for love. You're not striving for forgiveness. You're not working hard in order to be influential or be seen or be noticed or have your voice heard. You're not striving for that in the way that the culture demands. You actually have a sense of, it is well with my soul. It's enough. And what it does is it lifts off all restraints. And how do you enter this rest? As we heard right at the beginning, and he said to them, the Son of Man, this is Jesus talking, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. That Jesus is the way that you enter this rest. If you do not have Jesus as your life, if Jesus isn't the focus of your life, the end of your life, the ultimate in your life, then you are missing out on deep enough soul rest. And if you are missing out on that, you will never find Sabbath in this life. Jesus is truly the answer to the life that we're looking for. I shared this story a few years ago to some um, aghast and horror. Out of all the stories that I have shared outside of the one about the dead deer, that's for another time, um, this one probably has been the one that has caused me the most um, uh, revolt. And, um, and, and I feel like I need to share this because there was a little bit of a repeat of this story this last Christmas. So, so here, here's the thing, and I need to confess this in front of you all because it's really important I do so and that I live a life of confession as an example to my, uh, my church, um, is that I really, really loathe jigsaw puzzles. Now, for some of you, the story that I shared a few years ago is flooding back, and you're now questioning whether you should still be in this church because you thought, you know, maybe you'd got over it. But I still hate jigsaw puzzles. There's nothing about jigsaw puzzles that excite me. I'm not interested. I'm a corner and edges guy at the most. Everything else, like when I saw the jigsaw puzzle of the baked beans, I just thought, why? Why, why would you spend some of your... On that, I, don't, I just don't understand it. I don't get it. And so I find them unsociable. I find them boring. I see, I'm sorry, my daughter is sat right there. My wife is there. Um, and, uh, and Erica was working on a puzzle over Christmas. And they're kind of huddled. And I'm just hearing, they're, they're just in silence or they're kind of frustrated. I think at one point Zoe walked away kind of frustrated. And I'm like, why, why are they doing this to one another? Do something else. But then they get really excited. There's a one point at the point of, of, of doing a jigsaw puzzle that everyone gets really excited about. What is it? The end. Listen, that could have come way sooner by getting all the bits, throwing it in the box, and walking away. The end. Let's get excited about that. But no, there's this, there's this point where it gets really exciting that there's that one piece. Calm down, Sarah. 
<laughs> so the reason I'm laughing is because this, this last Christmas, I think the Duncans lent a jigsaw to the Maddens to do, and there was a piece, just calm down, there was a piece missing. For like two weeks, Sarah thought that I'd stolen the piece, and I denied it. I said I didn't. The reason she thought I'd stolen the piece is because a few years ago, I did steal the piece. And they were so mad this few years ago, and they were like, where's the piece? They were looking everywhere. The next morning, I put it in. That was a heinous crime. Oh, my goodness. I had no idea how bad that was. I shared it with the Hannenbergs, and like, Pete got lit. Like, that's terrible. So I took a piece out of the jigsaw he had at Christmas. <laughs> I have never done it since. This is from a different jigsaw, love. You can calm down. This was not that Duncan's actually provided a jigsaw without a piece missing, with a piece missing, which I think is more of a heinous crime, personally. So we can all point and stare later at, uh, at Dan and Dala. Jigsaw's rubbish without that final piece, is it not? Sorry, Dan and Dala. But it's like, oh, I've got everything else, but I don't have that. You see, that, a few years ago, was the best experience I've ever had with the jigsaw puzzle. It was brilliant. I loved it. Even though I, I was in a lot of trouble, it was kind of worth it. And that was the best experience because I was able to put the final piece in. Let me tell you this, friends. You do not know at what point you are in your life. And you are busy filling in the edges and the corners and everything else that you think your life consists of. Whereas really, it's about this bit. The thing that you might be thinking is the most insignificant, the smallest, the, the inconsequential. That actually, if, if I'm in control, I can figure this out all the time. Just like uh, Pilate in front of Jesus when he said, what is the truth? And Jesus was stood right in front of him. He was stood right there. What is the truth, he said, looking past Jesus. And Jesus was silent. And he was right there. The peace is right there. Let's not spend all our time working and scurrying around, filling in the red when all of eternity is there and you might miss out on it because you're missing this one piece. Just that one gap that actually is everything. Come to me, Jesus said, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I'm a big Eugene Peterson fan. This is the same passage from the message. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Jesus took Sabbath. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's the missing piece. It's the most important piece that you will never experience true soul rest, true Sabbath in this life or the next without this one piece. And his name is Jesus. And can I say, and I say it with utmost confidence, every one of you need this. It's everything. 
Because our culture says everything else is everything. Our kids are everything. Our work is everything. Our TFSAs are everything. Our RSPs are everything. Do this, do this, do this. While all the time looking past the one who is everything, saying, well, what's the truth? The truth is that missing piece. And I truly believe that each one of us is wired to hear this message and respond to it. And so this morning that we can leave this place going, well, I've got some good self-help principles as to how to have Sabbath. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. Or we can leave this place going, I've got some good principles on how to have Sabbath in my life. Thank you, Glenn. But I need to remember the foundation of where that Sabbath rest comes from, and his name is Jesus. And he says, keep company with me. I like that. Because some of you need that. Some of you are living lives where everything is just filling with chaos and it's hectic and you feel like you can't jump out of this rat race. It doesn't matter what age you are. You just feel like life is, is squeezing you, maybe on health basis, on an e- economic basis, and you listen to the news and you just think this whole world is imploding. We need this. And so as we finish, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I, this is a beautiful song. And it's a song that really is a declaration and a prayer. And I want to invite you to stand and, and we're going to, and I'll invite you to do that in just a second. We're going to sing this song. But friends, this is not a routine that we do at the end of a service. This is a moment. This is like that cathedral in time where you have that beautiful connection with God, His Spirit. And we're reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. We're reminded of the price that was paid by him, by his blood, by his sacrifice, so that I don't have to pay that price. The greatest gift, the missing piece, that which I've been created for, just like that jigsaw has been created to be complete. You have been created to be complete. What a gift. So I know from experience the greatest conversion moments, the greatest cathedrals of time don't tend to happen in church. It can start in church, but it happens when you get alone. You maybe close your eyes and you open your hands and I say, God, it's been a long time. Can you meet me where I'm at? I'm tired of trying to do all this myself. I'm tired trying to be my own king, my own queen, and you hand your life back to him. And he promises to give you soul rest. That's a beautiful thing. That's what I want to end on this morning. Before we go into our quick town hall, I want to create, Lord willing, a cathedral in time. Let's stand together. Let's sing together worship him, to pray. Dear Father, I, as we stand together as a church family, those who have been here a long time and those who maybe are just new, we humbly ask that in the same way you flooded the tabernacle, the tent of meeting in the Old Testament, Lord, that you would flood this place. The Holy Spirit, you would minister among us. 
that you would do the work only you can do, God, which is draw us to yourself. And Lord, I pray there be repentant hearts, hope-filled minds, confession, prayer. But Lord, as it says in Revelation, that we would remember our first love for those of us who have given our lives over to you, but maybe have walked away. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, but Lord, want to experience that soul rest, that Lord, that they are tired, they are sin-filled, they are filled with shame. God, there would be a breakthrough in their life as they pray simple prayers to you. Peace and joy and soul refreshment that your yoke, Lord, would be experienced in Jesus' name.